we've been talking for the last eight, ten weeks now about um, God's uh, mission, our community, that we're to be ones going and taking the gospel. And uh, this is why I wanted Larry and Susan to, to share this morning. Man, God wants us to think outside the box with regard to being His incarnational presence in the world in which we live today. That's who we are as the body of Christ. That's, we're, we're the presence of God. We're the body of Christ. And so what we do is, is we take Christ with us where we go. I mean, we think in terms of, you know, God's mission is for us to go share the gospel. And we think we've got to go, we've, we, there's this message that we've got to go verbalize and sometimes force upon people. And it's by way of being the very presence of God, the presence of his love, being Christ to people that opens the doors and opens the ears and opens the hearts to receive that message. And so what they're doing with Canines for Christ is just as he shared his story with me uh, months ago, I just was absolutely blown away by it. So um, <clears throat> if you have a dog or if you don't have a dog, they didn't have a dog, you know, and matter. Uh, if you think you might have interest in this ministry or hear God, as Larry said, listen to God speaking to you. And whether it's this ministry or whether it's some other avenue that God wants to direct you upon to be a part of his mission in this world today, the advance of his kingdom, you be a part of it. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter 21. We're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. We were at the end of Acts chapter 20. We've been making our way through the book of Acts. I told you I wanted to wrap it. began back at the beginning of the year. was wanting to wrap up Acts by the end of the year. Uh, I, I hope we're going to make it. Um, I'm going to take a big chunk today that will put us closer to it. Uh, as we look at Acts 21 uh, and, and 22. But it, when we go back to Acts 20, where we were a couple of weeks ago, Paul was saying his goodbyes to the leaders of the church at Ephesus. He's making his way back to Jerusalem. He's met them at Miletus. He didn't stop sailing back to Jerusalem at Ephesus, probably because he, he's, he'd spent three years there. He's had deep roots there. He wanted to make it back to Jerusalem by Pentecost, he said. So he's got kind of a... He got a timeline, and he, he, he doesn't want anything to, to hold him up. So he meets the leaders at Miletus, and he tells them as he gathers with them there, as he says his goodbyes, that he's never going to see them again. It's the last time I'm going to see you. So it seems that he's aware, even as he's talking to these leaders of the church of Ephesus at Miletus, it seems like he's aware that there's something that awaits him in Jerusalem that's going to prevent his return to them. There's a reason he's not going to see him again. Something's going to happen. There's something, there's something in the offing. So after leaving Miletus, Paul and his companions, as we look at the first part of chapter 21, they sail along the coast of Asia Minor. They pass through the south of Cy Cyprus. They land at Tyre along the coast of Phoenicia, where they stayed for seven days. And during their stay... In Tyre and Phoenicia. If you look in verse 4 of chapter 21, it says that the Christians with Paul, the ones whom he stayed with, through the Spirit, urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. It seems that these Christian friends of Paul's here in Tyre were aware through the Spirit. The Spirit of God made them aware that there's some danger awaiting Paul in Jerusalem, and they didn't want their friend to come to any harm. But Paul is following the leadership of the Holy Spirit as well. I mean, they, the Holy Spirit made these friends of Paul's aware and, and, and that something's going to happen. And of course, 
They're urging their friend, man, please don't go. Don't put yourself in that danger. But Paul's being led by the Spirit as well. His course is set. So he and his companions, they continued their voyage from Tyre to south to Ptolemy to Caesarea on the, co- on the coast of Samaria, where they disembarked from the ship, and they stayed there in Caesarea with Philip the Evangelist. We, you, we read about Philip the Evangelist back in Acts chapter 6. He's one of the original seven uh, uh, deacons. He was the one that took the gospel to Samaria, if you remember, all the way back to Acts chapter 8. He was the one who shared of Jesus with the Ethiopian, who is the the secretary of the treasury to the queen of uh, Ethiopia. You go back and look at chapter 8. Anyway, he stays with Philip, and after a few days as Philip's house guest, and look with me at Acts 21.10, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet comes, a fellow by the name of Agabus. He comes down from Judea, and coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. Now, these guys wore robes, and they had sashes that would cinch the robes at the waist. And if they needed, we read in the scripture about them girding up their loins. They would take those sashes and they would tie their robes up at times to make their legs freer to run, things like that. And so, so anyway, he's got this sash that probably goes around his waist a couple of times. Agabus comes and he takes the sash. He takes the belt from his robe and he wraps it around his own hands and his own feet And he said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. In verse 12, Luke wrote, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Seems everyone, including Paul, was aware that there was danger awaiting him in Jerusalem. But danger had followed him throughout the years and throughout the thousands of miles of his missionary journey. And God had protected him in the midst of all of it. It seems clear to Luke and in all of God's companions that God is warning. But Paul's response, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul did not want his friends, his fellow Christians to be sad, but Paul was clear with regard to the mission that he was upon. In fact, just two weeks ago, when we looked at chapter 20, as Paul said his goodbyes to the leaders of the church at Ephesus in Acts 20, 22, Paul said to them, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He echoes that sentiment here. I am ready to be bound, and not just to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus Christ, if that's the thing that the Spirit is leading me into. And friends, this is the call to every Christian. This is a call to all of us. This is not a call that's unique to the Apostle Paul, but this this call to take up your cross and die to self. These were the words that Jesus spoke to the crowds 
that followed after him. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he told his disciples, whoever wants to be a follower of mine, whoever wants to be one of my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life, whoever's trying to hold on to their life in this world, whoever is trying to enrich themselves and, and make gains in this world, thinking that somehow, some way, this world has things to offer that's going to bring a fullness to life that you find absent. Who, whoever wants to save their life in this world will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel, whoever lets go of their life here will save it. What good is it? For someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or, or forfeit their very self. And, and whoever is ashamed of me in my words, this is where it all, the rubber meets the road. Is, will you be identified with me? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus told his closest disciples, 12 men from Various backgrounds, small businessmen, fishermen, James, John, Peter, Andrew, government officials, Matthew, the tax collector, Simon, the zealot who sought the overthrow of the Roman government, and, and all of the others. Young men who aspired, some of them, to greater things in life, as young men do. He told them, forget about all of that. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, you, you remember the, the crowds, the popularity of Jesus was, was growing. He had been, he'd been healing people as he, as he went into cities and he'd, he'd fed 5,000 and fed 4,000. He'd fed these huge groups of people. And so, man, people are following after Jesus wanting to know, what's he going to do next? It's like the circus coming to town everywhere he goes. And, and some of the people were beginning to follow him from town to town. And in Luke 14, 25, it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus. There's some of these people, this is, this is what they did. They followed after Jesus. And turning to them, as though he wanted to, to, to winnow, to thin the herd, as it were, turning to them, he said, listen, I, I, I know you're all following me, but if anyone comes to me, if anybody really comes to me and wants to be a follower of mine, and does not hate father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever doesn't carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is the requirement. And, and we know we've looked at this passage of Scripture so many times. He's not saying that, that I, I have a pledge here that I want you all to sign off on, that you're going you're gonna to hate, you're going to disdain those that are closest to you, your wife and your children and your brothers and your mother and your father. We know because of Scripture, God calls us to, to love those with whom he puts us in close proximity. But what he's calling for here is that, that people would have first allegiance, that he would be number one, that, that compared to life itself, they would love Jesus more than life itself, that they would deny themselves, that they would carry their cross and die to self that that was the requirement that they were going to follow after Jesus. He was clear regarding what awaited. He knew where he was going. He had told his disciples he was headed towards the cross. And so as he speaks of the cross to them now, this, the meaning of it is clear. Paul was prepared for the same. If death it was to be, then in Paul's mind, so be it. 
And we are called to the same. The call to us is the exact same call. The fact of the matter is, is that very, very few, very, very few, and I would, I would dare guess probably none in this room today, very few are called to face a martyr's death. Very few are going to be executed because of faith in Jesus Christ. Indeed, for Paul, for the, the 10 to 12 years of his missionary journeys, for the, the thousands of miles that he had traveled, there had been a, a day-by-day dying to self that took place for, for many years before he eventually surrendered his earthly life in martyrdom. And, and this is the hard part for all of us, this, this surrendering every day anew to love and to serve those whom God has placed us in, in, in close proximity with. And I don't know who that is for you. Maybe a, maybe a husband or a, or a wife that's unresponsive or, or children who have entered the years of life when they know more than their parents, still young, lacking the wisdom that life brings, but ready to make the important decisions and full of, full of confidence that they they know exactly what's right. Maybe it's, maybe it's children you live with. Maybe, maybe it's loving a neighbor or a, a co-worker who's so very hard to like. I, I remember a boss that I had many, many years ago. His name was Mr. Finley. He, he died decades ago. He was a hard man. He was a difficult man. I remember one time in particular, he, he embarrassed me in front of a a large group, very publicly in front of a large group of fellow employees, and he, he implied motives in my actions that were completely act, absent. He falsely accused me of something. And so I, I confronted him in private, and I, I, I asked him not to embarrass me like that in the future, you know, and it wasn't quite that straightforward and clean. It was something more along the lines of, I understand you're my boss, and you can speak to me any way you want, but don't ever talk to me like that in public again. And he told me in no uncertain terms that he would talk to me any way he wanted to talk to me, that he was my boss, and he would talk to me like that in public. And if we had that conversation again, that it would most likely result in the termination of my employee. And so there I was. I could quit my job. I mean, that was, this is, you know, and a guy like me, I'd go, well, I just quit then, you know. That's what, in your spirit, that's what you want to do. And, but I was newly married and had bills to pay. And, you know, so what did I do? I, what I did was is I, I humbled myself. I determined I've, I, I, I need my job. So I, I humbled myself and I tried to make a friend of Mr. Finley, and I treated him with the respect that I should have been treating him with all along, but I endeavored to, to show him respect at, at every point because he was deserving of respect. He was my boss. I mean, I didn't like the guy, but we don't have, love is not about affection. This is our problem. We, we want to we like things, and we want to associate love with liking things, and trust me, Jesus had no affection for the cross. Paul had no affection for the beatings that he endured and the false accusations that were leveled against him. But Jesus loved, and Paul loved. 
So sometimes the, the, the things that we're called to do in, in, in love and in faithfulness to, to Christ, this dying to self, and it's all about loving others. It's, man, it's, it's hard. In time, Mr. Finley came to trust me. In fact, I was one of the very few people in the whole department he trusted because he was just kind of a hard character. I, could, I wish I could say that I knew he came to Christ. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that. But perhaps you have a, a Mr. Finley in your life, a boss, a coworker, a teacher, a neighbor, a family member, a, a person that day by day, as you go about your day, this person is absolutely unavoidable. They try you. They test you. They push you to your very limit. And you want to simply walk away from the relationship and be done with it. It would be the easiest thing. And God says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow after me. And for you, this business of, of dying to self will not be as easy as a quick beheading. I mean, there, there may be days when you think to yourself, the quick beheading would be preferable. You know, you're dying and denying self is a daily thing. It's renewed each day. Sometimes it's going to feel like Groundhog Day. You're going to feel like Bill Murray. I did did this all yesterday, and I tried to do it better, and I I tried to get it right, and you do it again, and you try to do it better, and you try to get it right, and you wake up the next day, and nothing's changed. Everything's the same, and you're doing it all over again, and, and you feel like, It's interminable, this thing that God has called you to. It's day by day, dying to self. The same thing over and over again. Some days more surrender to the Spirit of God and greater success. Other days, not so much, but daily dying to self, living for Jesus. This was Paul's call. Whatever awaits, whatever awaits me in Jerusalem, I'm simply following the leadership of the Spirit of God and we'll go where he leads. That's what God calls all of us. For Paul, it was on to Jerusalem. So along with his entourage, he goes upon their arrival. They're received warmly by the Christians there. They met with James, the brother of Jesus, who is the leader of the church of Jerusalem. And when the the leaders, the other leaders, James and the other leaders gather together, they hear the results of of Paul's missionary journeys, the people who had rejected their pagan, Greek, and Roman gods and put their faith and trust, and Jesus had become followers of Jesus, the leadership of the, of the Jerusalem church, they, all, they praised God over what had taken place, but there was a problem. The leaders of the church at Jerusalem shared with Paul that, that thousands of Jews there in Jerusalem had determined, had accepted Jesus as their Messiah, and that the, the Jews in Jerusalem had been told that Paul was telling the Jews outside of Jerusalem that they didn't need the law of Moses. They had heard that Paul was advising Jews who lived in Galatia and Asia and Greece and Achaia and these churches in Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Ephesus, all these churches that Paul was telling the Jews that lived in these cities that they didn't need to worry about the law of Moses. They didn't need to have their children circumcised. And so they told Paul, we, we know these Jewish followers are, 
misinformed. They had previously addressed this at a council in Jerusalem. They, they had told the Gentiles, you don't need to adhere to the law. You don't need to do these things. Just abstain from, from meat that has blood in it and from blood itself and from sexual immorality. And, you know, they, they lined out these, these things for the Gentiles. But tell the Jews to continue to live as Jews. Not that that's what will save them. The blood of Jesus will save them. But, but holding to, to custom and in culture, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. They, they said, we know this is not the case, that this isn't what, what you're telling people, that these folks are misinformed, but they're angry with you, and they certainly will learn of your arrival here in Jerusalem. We're not sure exactly what to tell them, but we have a plan of how to restore your reputation. There's four men here among us. They're, they're believers are completing a purification vow. They're J- Jewish believers. Complete the vow with them. Pay the temple expenses associated with them completing the vow. And everyone will see that you've not abandoned the Jewish laws and customs. So Paul went to the temple the next day and he served notice to the temple officials of his intent to complete the rite of purification with these four men to, to pay. In fact, on that occasion, he, he, pay, he paid their expenses. There were seven days left until the completion of this purification rite. The seven days had almost elapsed when, look at verse 27, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple, and they stirred up the whole crowd, and they seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place, the temple. And besides that, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place false charge. They'd previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and had assumed that Paul had brought him in to the temple. Mob formed. They seized Paul. They drug him from the temple proper out to the court of the Gentiles. They began to beat him. In his commentary on Acts, John Paul Hill writes this, along the northwest corner of the wall that surrounded the whole temple complex stood the Tower of Antonia, a fortress built by Herod the Great for the defense of the temple. There was a a detachment of Roman troops that were garrisoned there. Antonia had several high towers, one which is said to have been 100 feet tall, allowing a full view of the entire temple area. Claudius Lysias was the commander of a cohort or a detachment of 1,000 soldiers who were stationed adjacent to the temple complex. Jerusalem was a Jewish city, and the temple was in the center of the city. It was like the the town square, so to speak. So if trouble were to arise, there was a high probability that that's where it would arise, where issues were taken up, where controversies were confronted. If it happened somewhere else, then being in the center of the city would allow them access to it. Immediately upon this riot breaking out, Lysias with Roman soldiers in tow addressed the violence. When the rioters saw Lysias, the commander, coming with Roman soldiers in tow, they stop beating Paul. Lysias immediately assumes Paul is guilty of something. That must be why they're beating him. So he arrests him, and the Scripture says, has him bound hand and foot. In Agabus, the prophet's prophecy indeed has come true. Lysias asks the crowd, who is this? What, what, what is the problem here? What has he done? And he can't get a straight answer. Everyone is shouting. Some say one thing. Others say another. So Lysias orders his soldiers to take Paul back to the barracks 
they'll sort things out there. But now the mob's pressing in. They're angry. They're shouting, away with him. Get him out of the temple. We don't even want him in the temple. And so the soldiers make haste. He's bound hand and foot. They scoop him up. They carry him up the steps to the barracks next door to the temple. Look at verse 37. This is the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks. Paul asked the commander, may I say something to you? You speak Greek, he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out in the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please, let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps, he motioned to the crowd, and when they were silent, he spoke to them in Aramaic. When they heard Paul speaking their native language, they, they quieted, and they listened as Paul shared with them that he was, he was a Jew born in Tarsus, but raised in Jerusalem. Well, he, he was taught the law of Moses by Gamaliel, one of their leading rabbinic scholars. He he, he loved the law, he told them. He, he sought to punish the followers of Jesus because they, he believed they had abandoned the law as well. But, but then he met Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. He lost his eyesight in the encounter. Look at verse 12 in chapter 22. He tells him, a man named Ananias came to see me. And Ananias was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all of the Jews living there. He's, he's attaching himself to Ananias, a respected Jew. He stood beside me, and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, a clear reference to the Messiah, and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and what you have heard. Paul told his audience that the only thing left for him to do, having seen the risen Lord Jesus, having heard words from his mouth, having experienced this miracle of sight lost and sight restored, all that was left for him to do was to be baptized. And so he was baptized as a follower of Jesus. He's appealing to them. And he said, I returned to Jerusalem. He wanted to bring back this good news. And while he was praying in the temple one day, the Lord told him to leave Jerusalem because the people there would not receive the message that he bore. And Paul told the people, he said, man, I protested. These, these people know me. They know I approved of Stephen's death. They know I sought to arrest and punish followers of Jesus. Surely they will believe my testimony when I tell them I've seen you alive. I've heard you. Verse 21, Paul says, then the Lord said to me, go, go, leave. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And at this, he lost his audience. Jewish nationalism ruled the day. Jews could never accept that God would send his messenger to non-Jews. But, but Paul, even though he had been beaten by his fellow countrymen, he was in chains because of their false, unsubstantiated, undeserved charges, Paul desperately wanted his countrymen to know the truth of Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul did not do. He did not immediately begin defending himself to the Roman commander. 
When Lysias appeared on the scene, he didn't go, hey, these guys are beating me. I haven't done anything wrong. He didn't make charges against those who beat him unjustly. That's the guy that threw the first punch right over there. When he requested to speak to the crowd, it was to share with them the good news that that Jesus is alive. Paul wanted them to know that he had seen Jesus, he had spoken with Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, the King had come. He seized upon the moment to share with the Jews, people whom Jesus had previously told him wouldn't receive the message. But Paul seized the moment to share the gospel anyway. Once again, it's a call to every Christian. Share the gospel. Die to self daily. And share the gospel, the call that we have. God's mission, our community, this, this going and being a part of God's mission, it's pretty straightforward. Die yourself, share the gospel. As I read this account, I immediately thought of Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, in, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. In view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Other translations say, whether it's convenient or not, whether the time is favorable or not, even if it isn't the, the popular thing to do, even if it isn't a favorable message, people want to hear a favorable message. People don't want to hear messages that are unfavorable. People don't want to hear, you are an offense to God. Your life lived selfishly on your own with no regard for God is an offense to God. Your neglect of things that are important to God is an offense to God. People don't want to hear that message. Let me tell you the message that people don't want to hear. The message of Jesus from Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he's going to sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. This is judgment taking place. And he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the, the sheep on his right and he'll put the goats on his left. This is, this is a time of judgment. This is a message of judgment. This is God returning to judge mankind. And what does Jesus say is the standard of judgment? What separates sheep from goats? Ministry. To the least of these, to those in need, to people on the margins of society, to people that have less than we have, most especially to people that don't have the gospel, desperate need. People don't want to hear about the death of the unborn. Have you, ever, have, you, have, you, have you ever seen a major news organization publicize what takes place when an abortion occurs? You, you haven't, and you won't, because people don't want to hear the message. They, they don't want to see the video of a child being removed from the womb of a mother, a child with arms and legs and hands and fingers and toes and eyes and ears and nose and beating heart and formed brain being ripped 
piece by piece from, from the womb of a woman. Nobody wants to see that. People don't want to hear that the message that abortion is the murder of the unborn performed overwhelmingly because men and women are inconvenienced by the timing of a pregnancy. And, and trust me, I recognize their, their tragic situations when, when, when women must decide with families and doctors about medical tragedies and but overwhelmingly, 90% of the abortions that take place in this country are purely a matter of convenience. I believe that the LGBT community should have the exact same rights to live and work as the rest of us. Heaven forbid we should start discriminating against people because they're sinners. Where does that leave us? That said, we've gone too far when the drag queen story hour starts taking place at the local library. And people who promote this nonsense say they're doing it in the best interest of young children. They're not. They're doing it in their own interest. They're doing it to prop up their own agenda. Children, born or unborn, are important to God. This is my point. There are things that are important to God, and children in life, born or unborn, are important to God. The created order is important to God. Men and women and marriage and family, the way that God created is important to God. In Judges 17, in verse 6, it describes a time in the life of the nation of Israel when they had taken possession of the land before kings were in charge and it says the people had turned away from God and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And so it is still today. People do whatever seems right in their own eyes. They ignore God and don't tell them they're wrong. Don't tell abortion doctors that they're wrong. Don't tell drag queens that they're wrong. Don't tell Hindu nationalists that are killing Indian Christians that they're wrong. Don't tell people that they're wrong, that they're sinners in need of a Savior. Most people don't want to hear the message that indicts or condemns them. I didn't. I didn't want to hear the message that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I wanted to do what was right in my own eyes. I still do much of the time. I need to hear, I need to be reminded regularly that my need is Jesus. Thus my need to be in God's word, my need to hear God's holy word, my need to be applying God's holy word to, to my life. Thus the need as well for the lost to hear the word of God that is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword dividing deeply, dividing between truth and falsehood, dividing between soul and spirit as deep as joint and marrow, exposing our innermost thoughts and desires. We're all called to be witnesses to the living word, to Jesus Christ. We're called like Paul to give testimony to the miraculous change that's taking place in our own lives. But beware, many will not be receptive. As with the Jews with whom Paul shared when 
Paul included the Gentiles, the Jewish nationalists, those who wanted God to save them exclusively, those who wanted no part of a multinational, multi-ethnic kind of salvation. They rejected Paul's message out of hand, and in the process, they rejected Paul, and they rejected the Messiah that he represented. But I want you to see, notwithstanding that, I want you to see the way that Paul shared. Because I know in here, ah, sometimes I get excited. You might think, why is he so angry? I've had people ask me that before. I'm not really. I get angry at the stupidness, the foolishness of the world at times. And other times I get angry at myself because I can't seem to get it right either. And I'm not angry at you guys. And we can't be angry. We can't be angry at those that God has called us to share with. I want you to see the way that Paul shared. His was not a message intended to offend or incite. He began by addressing them as brothers and fathers. He addressed his fellow Jews with, with the greatest respect that he possibly could. He sought to gain common ground with them as a, as a Jew that loved the law of Moses and had learned the law of Moses from someone that they respected. He shared with them of his, his own prejudice against those who proclaimed Jesus, how he even sought to eliminate what he considered to be heretical teaching by persecuting followers of Jesus. He's seeking to gain common ground with them. His appeal to them was based on his personal encounter with Jesus, his miraculous loss and recovery of sight by the power of Jesus, his personal commission by Jesus to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. He didn't seek to incite, to insult, to offend those with whom he shared. He loved his fellow Jews. Indeed, in his letter to the Christians at Rome, he, he wrote, I, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my, my people, my fellow Jews, my countrymen. Paul desperately wanted the Jewish people to understand that the long-awaited Jewish Messiah had come. So he so he shared the message at every opportunity, even as they attacked him, even as they beat him, even as they falsely accused him and screamed at the top of their lungs, take him away, get him out of here. Paul still sought to share, could you just give me a minute? Let me just take one swing of the bat with this group. Let me, let me, just, let me see if I, can, if I can just break through to maybe one of them. That was his call to die to self and to share the gospel still the same today. Simple. To die, simple. Not easy, but simple. To die day by day to self. Surrender to Jesus and his spirit. And to share the gospel every opportunity that is presented. Whether it seems convenient or not. To die to self. To share the gospel. God's mission, our community, that we're to go into. You stand, please. Pray with me. Father, we are we're grateful today for the clarity of truth. God, for simple direction that you give us. Lord, we, we need your spirit. God, we need you to pour it out on us, God, that we would be ones faithful to the call 
to be your very incarnation, to be the body of Christ, to be your presence in this world in, in which we live today. Father, whether it is by the, that, that, that winsome presence of, of canines for Christ, Father, taking a dog and just relating to someone, opening their eyes and their ears to the very love of Jesus as you take the time to be presence with those that are in crisis and those in need, or, or whether that call is in some other direction, some perhaps more difficult direction where, where ears are not going to be as open. But God, knowing that you'll give us the strength, God, I pray that you would guide us by the power of your Spirit, that you would show us what it is that you want for us, that you led Paul, and that we would be faithful as he was, to die to self, to share good news of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to be standing praying. Friend, he loves you and he cares about you. I believe he made sure you would be here today so that you would hear the message that Larry shared. You know, that God loves you. The message that I shared, God loves you. He cares for you deeply. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, man, come share with me. I'd love to pray with you. I have counselors that will I'm Christian, and I'm, my hope always is that, that you'll hear the Spirit of God speaking to you. I know this business of dying to self daily, is, it is hard. It's hard. Be encouraged today. The strength of the Spirit of God can bring you to the place where it can be done. You can die to self daily and live for Christ daily. And if you've been struggling and wrestling with that, Cry out to God, I need strength. I need your spirit. You've not been vocal about your faith, man. If you've held back, cry out to God, Lord, give me opportunity. Just put the name of Jesus on my lips. I'll speak it. Cry out to God. He'll respond to you. Today's here. He loves you. He cares about you. And he will respond to you.